Welcome to the Church Podcast, talking all things ministry to help you do church better. I'm your co-host, John Ronaldo, and I'm joined here on Facebook Live with Chris Wesley. Chris, how is 2020 going for you so far? It's going really well. I mean, this is our first recorded episode in and live episode in 2020, even though, you know, we uh, had one go um, on an air on Tuesday. We dropped an episode on Tuesday, but that was recorded before uh, the new year. So yeah, we're officially in 2020 and I am excited. I'm pumped uh, because we are starting this year off on such a high note. We've raised the bar, John, to a point where I don't know how we're going to move forward from here because we have a very special guest, um, someone I had the pleasure of uh, meeting. I, I've heard about her for years, but I had the pleasure of meeting her last uh, last fall. And that's Catherine Angulo, uh, who joins us from the McGrath Institute. And she is the program director for Thriving and Ministry Initiatives. Um, and the McGrath Institute is at Notre Dame in uh, Indiana. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Happy New Year. Hola, Happy New Year to everybody. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Uh, so, so Catherine, um, uh, you've been now with uh, the McGrath Institute for how many years? It's going to be a year and a half. Before okay. that, I was involved with many of the evaluations of the programs that they had, but full-time, year and a half. Okay, and, and so for, for, for you and I, uh, our mutual friend is Craig Gould, uh, who I believe you've mentored um, bit, which we'll, we'll have to talk a little bit more about on offline um, in, in that regards now. But, uh, yeah. uh, and, that, and that's because you were down in Atlanta, right? Um, as yes. the diocesan director for Youth and Young Adult Ministry in that area, right? For the archdiocese, yes. Awesome, awesome. Well, before we like jump around um, kind of like memento style and everything like that, why don't you uh, tell a little bit, uh, tell everyone a little bit about um, the McGrath Institute, um, some of the things you like, uh, uh, the Institute's focused on and exactly what a uh, director for thriving and ministry initiatives looks like. Mm -hmm. Well, the McGrath Institute is a, a very special place here at Notre Dame where the academic world can come together with the practical world because it's serving the church. Um, so we have all the experts in science and religion, liturgy. Uh, we also have uh, master's degree programs with ECHO and we also have programs for the May high school students with N division. So we have that interaction between the university, university, the academic world with the real church um, that is uh, all around the country. Now I am in charge of thriving in ministry initiatives. This is a great uh, opportunity that the Lilly Foundation has given us here at the McGrath. And I'm pretty much leading two programs right now. The first one is for the Priestly Renewal, uh, the Bishop Darcy program. Uh, which is a uh, very interesting program where we invite priests from around the nation that have been in ministry for more than eight years to come back and retreat and go back and find their vocation call. Uh, because after eight years that you are out of the seminary and in the real world, you cannot realize what priesthood really is. Uh, so to be able to offer that brotherhood support, to uh, bring them uh, stimulating uh, talks intellectually, but also spiritually, give them time to rest. Our priests are exhausted right now when they're in charge of two, three, four parishes. And what I have found the most is that when I interact with them at the end of, of the week that they spend here with us, uh, is that gratitude that they say, we finally realized something was missing, that we were going in the ground path in a sense of exhaustion. And now with this opportunity, we're going to go back, revive, and we're going to be able to thrive again in our ministries. 
The other program that I follow is the Strong Foundations for Catholic Leaders. Um, this is an initiative that the McGrath Institute is doing to try to embrace the young adults that are working in the church currently and that they are showing great leadership skills. And most likely they have the potential to become the leaders of the Catholic organizations in the future. But right now they are not connected to any network to support them. Uh, so what we're truly trying to learn uh, with these uh, young adults that we have selected, we have selected a group of 14. We're following them for, 14, uh, for two years. And each one of them has received three mentors. One is a listener, which is the one that helps them just see what, what they are doing uh, in the balance between their life and their work and their ministry. The second mentor is a mentor that is specifically connected to the area of expertise of ministry that they are in. So they help them answer those typical questions that we get in the professional world and sometimes we don't have the support system to ask the an expert for. And then there is another mentor that is the one that helps them see themselves professionally because our goal is that we start to create a cultural support of mentorship so we will consider a longevity in the church. Uh, we need to be realistic that the numbers in the church right now of leadership are above the retirement age. So we're going to have a huge gap very soon. And if we don't entitle and prepare our young adults uh, to continue in this journey, we're going to have a huge gap in the years to come. That's, that's incredibly beautiful what you guys are working on. Uh, that mentorship piece is, is really key, I think, because that seems to be one of the conversations I have a lot. And Chris, I know you have it a lot too. It's like, what type of support structures do we have surrounding not just our young adult leaders, but our leaders in general, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a missing element. And I love what the McGrath Institute is doing with priests as well, because it's the same thing for, for our priests in the sense that they're thrown into these realities and don't have an opportunity to have that support structure, to have that retreat and spiritual experience, to kind of go back and, 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 and get founded, get get based back on that that initial vocational call, which was so exciting for all of us in, in ministry. But when we start to get in the thick of it, we start to get beat up, you know, by, by ministry and what happens. So I think that's really beautiful what you guys are doing. So so you mentioned that you've got a cohort of, of 14 young adult leaders in the church for two years. You provide three mentors for them. Um, what type of ministry roles are these leaders in? And in what part of the country? Are they in all parts of the country? Or are you guys focused in, in one area? Yeah. We selected them from all around the country and in different ministries. So we have people that are working in parishes, people that are working in dioceses, people that are working in Catholic organizations, and people that are just creating their own ministries. So they're even becoming innovators. Uh, and that's why, because we wanted to be able to, in a sense, we're learning in these two years to see what effective ways of support we can offer according to the ministries that they are uh, offering to the world. Uh, and that diversity is actually what have created this group to be even more rich. Because I always thought about how we're going to support each one of them individually. We're doing a very deep study in each one of them. Uh, but I never realized that the group, the cohort itself, when they communicate, the ideas that are coming out of that group are outstanding. And they will have never been able to meet each other because of the diversity of the ministry. Mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes we have great Catholic organizations like NCCL or the National Federation of Youth Ministry. We forget that there is also talent in other areas that need the support, but they will never have a chance to communicate unless they are in the same area or, or they are lucky to, to be in an opportunity to embrace other people. So. That's awesome. 
Um, go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say, it's really great. You're, you're building that network. And it's a national network. It's, it's people, different fields, different disciplines across the country. And, and that is, is badly needed. Now, how do you uh, work with the diocese that they're in, right? So, so they're all working within a diocese. Dioceses have certain structures, uh, you know, certain meetings, certain opportunities, certain formation opportunities. Uh, what is the collaboration like, if at all, between how you operate or how you encourage them to connect with their diocesan structures? At this point, what we are doing, uh, this is a two-year process. So right now, we're getting to know the person first and the why we selected them. The way that we selected these 14 candidates is we call all the leadership of the Catholic organizations around the nation. And we ask them directly, who do you think is going to replace you? Uh, many people go surprised with that question. Wow. Uh, but at the same time, we ask them, give us the names of the talent that you see out there of young adults. We receive 80 names. And from those 80 names, we try to find the ones that were less likely to be supported uh, because of the educational background or the settings that they were in or the connections that they already had. Uh, but we even have people that have been selected by more than 20 of the leaders. So we know that person is for sure going up somewhere but to be able to embrace them get to know not only what they are doing now but what they envision to that they're going to be doing in 10 20 years from now so we will be able to say you need to start to develop this skill you need to embrace this reality and that's the kind of information and content that we're giving them so they will be stronger to be able to apply for those locations what we have done with the dioceses and with the Catholic organizations that they work in is that we have promised that once we learn these techniques, we will give it to them so they can apply among their employees if they are interested. That's beautiful. So I, I know, Chris, you want to jump in here, but I have this follow-up question. So this is research for you, and you guys are trying to figure out what works and what doesn't ultimately, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So then is part of the project, it's not just mentoring these 14 people, but part of the project is figuring out what are the best practices, what are the foundational pieces that takes to mentor a next generation of leaders? Are you guys going to publish something and, and write something up and, and have that available to the wider church at some point at the end of, of your guys' research here? Uh, I don't know how, what media are we going to use, but definitely we are going to send this information out because uh, we're learning already. Uh, we have been in this journey for a couple of months. It's going to be a year right now. Uh, and we already are seeing some very defined issues that are the ones that are taking away the young adults to stay in working in the church. And by able to start to work on those issues and creating resources to um, address those issues, uh, we are already giving uh, a great opportunity for the nation uh, the Catholic world nation uh, to consider to implement these resources or something similar that will be applicable to their areas because they are re very real. For example, when you are a young adult, you are deciding your balance between your personal life and your faith. And right there, there are already a thousand question marks of what is to be a leader of a ministry mm -hmm. and, and the implications that they have. And that's a challenge, especially in today's world where uh, some of our young adults have been exposed just to certain truths or other truths or more challenges are coming through. So it's, it's challenging to, to keep that balance. The reality that we have is that the a professional world that we live in is broken in the Catholic Church or Catholic institutions. Broken in a sense that it's not healthy. Um, to, to be able to, uh, sometimes I get calls from them and say, oh, look, I got this offer for this job. It is amazing. And I look at the job, I was, I'm going like, 
you are not ready for that job. And yet they are so excited. I was like, yes, it's an honor that they call you, but they're setting you up for failure uh, because you don't have certain areas of preparation. So to be able to discern with them, of course, we are not saying take it or not take it, but we're just trying to help them see these are the requirements you you have because unfortunately, out of um, the reality of our church right now, with the mentality of volunteer, we are uh, in many parishes and dioceses just looking for a warm body to fulfill a chair. Yeah. We, and that's why we're not thriving. Our idea is if we really invest in these leaders and if we give them the support system, just picture if with nothing they were able to achieve the recognition of leaders around the nation, what they could do if we have a support system for them and a network where they can enhance each other's ministry. So that, that's our hope and we will see what happens in two years. <laughs> you know, Catherine, you're uh, speaking John in my language because part of the reason why this podcast uh, started, um, you know, uh, uh, over three years, well, the conversation for this podcast started over three years ago was uh, because of the discontent that we had, uh, John as a diocesan director and a youth minister, myself as a youth minister, just seeing um, men and women around this ministry, not just youth ministry, burn out, you know, and, and, uh, and struggle, uh, even if they didn't burn out, struggle. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of what you're saying is definitely some of the stuff that we're trying to tackle. Uh, what are, what are some of the, are there common threads that you're seeing? Um, or is it still too early where everything is unique to that? I mean, there's always uniqueness to each person's story, but are there common threads that you're starting to see emerge and if so, what would you say are some of the top, uh, you know, two or three uh, that you're seeing? Um, there are some. I don't want to define them as the conclusion because we're right, just right. starting. Uh, but there is a reality of the moment that people start to work in the church, their faith, their own personal faith can be threat. Mm. It can be a threat. Uh, out of interactions, situations, uh, heartbroken moments or, or realities that they start to embrace and they start to question their faith. Uh, my advice for all these 20 years I have done ministry to, to the youth ministers I work with before is the moment that your faith is in jeopardy, that's the time that you have to resign. You never expose your faith to, to, to a job because that's not worth. The second part is we really need to be more serious about the professionalism of ministry, uh, not only for the employee, but also for the environment that we offer these employees. Can, can, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but can you go a little bit more into what professional in ministry, like what you mean by that? Because I think there's a lot of kind of confusion of what professional ministry looks like and even sometimes an aversion to that because it's like it's the church it's ministry it's not shirt and ties and like spreadsheets and evaluations so yeah if you don't mind digging into that uh, starting from expectations so when you are prepared and you have the the knowledge of what you are offering then the content that you're going to produce is going to be something that is going to create an effect because it's well throw it through. A perfect example is we live in a culture where we organize programs or events and we love it, but there is no this connection between point A and point B. Uh, one of the sessions that we gave the, the trainers here was educational design. Educational design is helping you create an arch so you actually see a growth in the ministry that you are offering. Um, a perfect example in the world, let's say for example of youth ministry, is that every year uh, parishes take kids to mission trips. That's excellent. 
But if you just, in four years, you offer them just mission trips, you just gave them one little part of the menu of the Catholic Church. Mm. But instead, if you every year you challenge them to a different experience, they are going to like some more than others. But you have exposed them, you have stretched them to grow and to become more mature in their faith. Um, but sometimes it's because we like whatever event is that we are thinking of. Uh, we just go for it and we don't understand that we are not creating a healthy um, experience for them in those four short years that we have them in high school. Uh, the same for our adults. How many times you have gone to a parish and you ask for a young adult a program and they tell you, oh, here we have theology on tap. Is that it? Uh, I, one time I have uh, one young adult that came to me and said, it looks like I just have to drink all the time to be able to be a better Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, that's a good point. What are you saying? Is GK Chesterton Wayne disagree. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's just the kind of things that you're starting to see um, in the programs that we're doing. For families, the same thing. Mm. We say, oh, we're going to do something for families. What is it? A fall festival. Well, great. What else? Is that all you can achieve in a family? So when you are more intentional in that educational design that so many times we ignore, ignore for two reasons. One, because we love to consume programs. And when we consume programs, we forget about the planning of what is the, the, the arch that we are building. And the other thing is uh, we love, um, we have the lack of knowledge of how to be effective of creating a good educational design. I always tell people I have a master's uh, in theology and I was never taught how to deal with budgets or, or education, but yet I'm supposed to know everything about theology. So those disconnections, we have to see that we're in a new reality that we need to embrace uh, to be more effective in the ministry so we can thrive in what we're doing. Okay, so, so listen carefully. What Catherine's saying here is like, we can't do the same thing over and over and over again, right? Because mm -hmm. what you're talking about is the intentionality of, of people's growth, right? People's mm -hmm. growth in their faith. And so they're at point A. How do we get them to point D or E or F on the continuum? And it's not by doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. The same program over and over and over again. And, and this has been a theme of, of something that Chris and I have talked about is, is, is the question is when someone walks away from your ministry year or four years in youth ministry or going through a young adult program or Bible study, at the end of that time, what do you want this person to look like in terms of their spiritual habits, in terms of their faith, right? And then go backwards and mm -hmm. build how you help them to get to that point. You're exactly right in saying we don't do that. We don't do that. Well, we're not taught to do that, right? Yeah. And this is true for, for our clergy as well. It's the same thing, right? How many priests have I talked to who said, I have no idea how you know, to do some of these administrative leadership management types of things. Uh, you know, so how do we build these types of things into formation? So what, what you're what you're describing here, I'm super excited about this is because, you know, and I can't wait to see the conclusions of this, you know, two years from now, whatever it is. But what you're basically saying is, is what you guys are working on can actually help shape the formation programs that we put our leaders through, whether it's clergy, whether it's lay, whatever, is going to help shape some of that conversation. I absolutely love your language here. I just think this is so exciting what you guys are working on.
Yeah, so that's why I'm smiling every day. Although it's yeah. cloudy and it's snowing. Yeah. No, <laughs> you smile because that's your personality. Okay, yeah. let's be real. You're a smiler. We know we, this. We we should set up a competition between her and Armando to see who has the uh, biggest and longest smile, like a smile off or something like that. But um, uh, so I of course we're we're shouting your praise. We're we're shouting amen and agreeing to everything that you're saying. Yeah, and, and I believe that a lot of people know that, right? They know what you're saying in theory is true, yet the it's simple, yet the execution of it doesn't seem so simple or easy. What what are some of the obstacles or, or pushbacks? Where are some of the like you mentioned addiction to programs? Why do you why do you think there is this addiction to programs? Why do you think there is this uh, uh, reluctance to change our methodologies and the way that we approach um, ministry? Mm -hmm. I think uh, the addition, now I don't want to sound like the programs are bad. <laughs> Thank right, right, God. Right. Many of yeah. those programs are good, are very good, actually, some of them. Uh, but the, the problem is that we are in such a fast pace in ministry. We're just dealing with a one, two, three, one, two, three, that we don't have time to think about the serious issues of what is my purpose this year? When a question I always ask catechists before they start the year is, how is this year going to be different? for the people that attend your sessions. Uh, and it's not just the, the material that you're gonna provide. What is it that is gonna be so much different from the year prior that they came to your sessions? And that's when we are starting to give them a vision of what is the purpose of your time here. It's not just to satisfy a checkbox, but it's to change the mentality of are we creating actually a culture of discipleship? Mm -hmm. A culture where we are gonna be able to walk and journey and grow together in our own faith. So that, that will, I will say, is one of the issues why um, hiding behind a programs is so, so good for so many. The problem I see is when people start to talk about the language of the faith based on a program mm. and know about God, because then you completely waste your time. When you worship a program, but you don't worship God, that person, I assure you, is going to have more chances to disaffiliate of the church once they grow into a new stage in their life. That's what we need to be very careful. It's interesting. That reminds me um, of, I forget where it is in the uh, New Testament, but where um, a, a demon-possessed man goes up to uh, someone trying to proclaim Jesus' name and say, say, follow me, and the demon's like, um, I know Jesus, I know of Paul, but who are you, you know, and it's like so often we become the church of name that program or name mm -hmm. that like affiliation. And again, we're not knocking programs or tools, but when they become idols, that's when uh, it starts to deteriorate from um, their usefulness and, and also what God's calling us to, to truly do and, and, the, and the unique identity that the local church and the universal church does bring um, on its own. Mm -hmm. And the other part is that one of the arts of good ministry is when you as a leader, professional leader, have the sensibility to take the program, because the program is going to tell you what topics you have to cover on a certain period of time, but to take the program and to be able to translate it to the reality of the community that you have in front of you. Many people have asked me, what is the best program for whatever? And I have always said, tell me about your parish. If I knew there was one perfect program, I would have been the first one pro pro promoting the program everywhere. The problem is not the program, it's you need to know also the reality. So for example, 
uh, early in my career when I was in charge of confirmation of in a parish. I did two years and everything was going great and I was feeling like I was the expert of the world. And then the next year, the majority of my students, their parents were divorced. 70% of my students' parents were divorced. Guess what? The majority of the time that I spent on all the topics we're supposed to be covering was connected to what marriage is. Because they, if, they, if they didn't understand what was the possibility of the next step, and they didn't have any uh, personal experience that it was worth it, then the confirmation process itself was in, in the rocks. So to be able to transform according to the reality of each group that you have in front of you, that's the art that many times is not mentioned, but that's what makes successful ministry. To be able to know the content, yes. To execute events, yes. To interact with people, great. But to have the, the art of ministry of saying, okay, this is how I'm going to present it to you right now. To make it real to your life. That's when the real encounter with Christ, I mean, the encounter with Christ happens because it's Christ. But that's how we can create the environment so the encounter can happen. And what you're calling for is really, it's a flexibility, right? Mm -hmm. It's an adaptability. And, and that's part of the art that I see is, is you being able to be fluid about the experience and, and how you go about it and to be open and prepared to whatever obstacle or whatever inspiration comes in the middle of whatever you're working on, right? And I think all of us have had that experience, right? We're kind of moving down this path and then all of a sudden, during a, a talk or a workshop or a staff meeting or something like that, we start going this way because there's something that comes up in the conversation that makes, oh, we need to address this. And it's not part of the, the plan. It's not part of the program, but that's where people are at. Yeah. And that's the direction that we need to go. Uh, I think we would recognize that happening more often in our lives than we think, but we can't be rigid to our plan because mm -hmm. it's not our plan. It should never have been our plan. It's God's plan. And God's mm -hmm. plan is going to be fluid in that process. I, I mm -hmm. love where you're going with that. I think that's mm -hmm. incredible. Uh, I, I like what you said before, um, where, you know, ministry is so fast and we need time to listen and, uh, you know, uh, slow things down. What are, what are some best practices that you recommend either to members of the cohort or that you found um, in regards to looking at the big picture or slowing just that pace down uh, to something that's more manageable? Mm-hmm. Something that has been very helpful for me is I have been able to have uh, good friends in other faith denominations that are also working in ministry. And what we do is we try to meet once every six months and we sit down. We are not talking about programs. We're not talking about people. We're talking about the realities that we're seeing now. Mm -hmm. So with our dialogue, we can figure it out if that's just a, a parish or a church issue or if it's something that is happening nationally. So then we can be more alert about those kind of situations. In a diocesan level or in a parish level, the network among the people that do the same ministry that you do is very important uh, because that's your immediate support system. But what I encourage all those that are working in ministries, don't talk just about what is the new thing, who is the best speaker, what, how much. Just those are practical questions. That's the Martha. Leave the Mar do the Martha part, but then give a time for Mary, which is talk among yourselves of what are the realities and sensibilities that you are seeing. So then among all of you, you can address the situation with a more wisdom than just you dealing with the work all the, the time by yourself and then feeling overwhelmed and burned out very quickly. And, and this is where the diocesan structure really can be helpful in that, right? Mm -hmm. is, is building that network. Now, 
some of some of you who are listening to this are are in much more rural dioceses that you're you're far apart from your colleagues, and some of you are more urban suburban settings, and you're a lot closer together. But there has to be intention, and I I look back on my own ministry experience how important that network was, right? And just getting together with with other people who were doing the same thing that that I was doing. Uh, and how beneficial it, that was. And so again, this is where the church, we've got these structures. Now, in some cases, the diocese is helping organize these things, but in some cases they're not. Right. So organize it yourself, right? I mean, you know, oftentimes I think what we find is like directors of faith formation or children's ministry or youth ministry, they're usually, depending on your diocese, does have that intentionality, but is there a time and a place for parish administrators or business managers to get together or liturgy directors to get together. Right. And don't, I mean, certainly if the diocese is doing it, jump on board with that, but if the diocese is not doing it, create that support network yourself. Right. Yeah. And, and don't be shy about it. I think, I just think it's so essential to our growth to be able to do that. So, and we need that, but too often, especially, especially parish administrators and business managers, right. They just don't have that network. They're not getting together with, with their, with like-minded people who are in the same roles as they are. But you, you know, John, like I feel, you know, I, I definitely agree with that. And that's how some of the networks that I've been a part of started, not from the top up um, and down, but like uh, from, from people who are in the in the field. Uh, but I've been thinking about this, too. In Baltimore, at least, there's a Catholic business network. Right. And it's just of uh, professional men and women who are Catholic and in all sorts of industries. And, and I would say even if you're a youth minister or uh, an administrator or whatever your role is, you can be a part of that network and there's tons of tools and resources in there as well. So it might not be ministry specific. And then also Kevin, one thing you were mentioning is going outside to other uh, churches, you know, even if they're not Catholic and, and mm -hmm. connecting with men and women who are in those roles. Um, Cause I know that uh, when I've looked at some of my friends in evangelical churches, the positions that they have, <laughs> I don't know if they'll ever exist in the Catholic church, but it's yeah. kind of unique just to like talk to, talk to them and learn from them um, yeah. around the, in those areas too. Yeah. And we also need to understand that ministry is no ministry itself. We have talent also Catholic talent of all other prof professions that will enhance our own ministry. For example, many people don't realize that the number one reason why people get fired working in the church is because they don't know how to deal with the budget or they make big mistakes with the budget. And it's because usually people good in ministry, they're not good with money. Um, I will never forget the case of one of a brand new youth minister in, in a, one of the diocese I work with. I heard the call from the priest screaming on the phone and I was like, what's going on? Well, we just find out this person that we hired two months ago has spent $20,000 extra for a retreat. And I was like, $20,000? I was like, what did she do? Did she give a free card or what? <laughs> uh, and then he was starting to blame her. And I said, fine, excuse me, but someone was signing the checks. And if then the fact that no one checked, that she wasn't very, she just came out of college and she didn't know how to balance a checkbook. Um, that was the fault of the person that hired her and the person from the financial management. So when we are able to have these dialogues, when you have a, let's say a parishioner that is an expert in business to sit down with these employees that will help them to enhance the ministry and to have a better idea and to become better at what is it that they do. And those are, that's just a simple example of all the possibilities that you have. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. You know, it, it, I didn't, I didn't realize that, that the, 
the number one reason or one of the main reasons that people get fired was uh, over budgetary issues. And, but that, that totally makes sense. I mean, for me, yeah, I, uh, I, one of my favorite stories to share is how I lost $3,200 on a fundraiser. Um, you know, and it was just poor. That, that was not a good fundraiser. <laughs> it was not a good fundraiser. It was not fun and it did not raise anything. Uh, but you know, it was, uh, and that's why I have this aversion to them now, but, um, you know, uh, but one of the things I, I did take benefit, um, of is being a part of a parish where they taught me tithing and they taught me, um, you know, uh, and then they started to offer, um, like financial course, um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, courses like, uh, Dave Ramsey's financial peace university and everything. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I think there's just some of these hard skills that were, were lacking and, you know, some of it's not because people are being ignorant to them. It's just that they, never been taught them or they're not taught them in school or or, or something along those lines. And so there has to have to be methodologies along that way. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Are there like training courses? So the McGrath Institute, you know, has like this cohort where there's mentoring and and developing going on there. Are there things that you guys are working on to sort of, I guess, get ahead of the curve in in, in that regard so that uh, people entering into ministry are maybe a little bit more prepared than they were before? I mean, in addition to mentoring these young adults, yeah, we are actually starting to see how we can connect all the programs that we have into a more holistic way. Why? Mm-hmm. Uh, because unfortunately, the re- professional reality of the church is that the people that are working most likely will have more than one job that was covered by two or three people in the past. Uh, and let's say a simple example of science and religion. The program that ha- we have here of science and religion is amazing. I never received any kind of information between science and religion when I was being trained in a master's level or all the certificates that I have in my hands. But I probably most likely will never attend a science and religion conference. But if I have a conference on the area of expertise that I have, and one of the the parts that is explained to me is science and religion, then I'm gonna become a lot better minister. So uh, right now in the McGrath Institute, we are looking in, we're doing uh, some uh, planning ahead, um, a strategic planning, and we're gonna try to see how we can connect that more. So whatever of the attendees that comes to any of the programs that we offer, they will not only get the expertise that they're seeking for, but they will also receive these layers that will make them a better, better minister. Awesome. Uh, real quickly, before we, we wrap up, I, you know, I know because we're getting close to time, tell, tell me a little bit more about this, this retreat experience that you guys provide for the clergy. Um, and it, you know, it sounds like it's part of its vocational renewal, its spiritual renewal. Um, is it just like a weekend thing, a week thing, once a year? Give us a little bit more background on, on how that works. It's a week-long program. Uh, they, they arrive on Sunday and they leave on, on Friday. And the idea is to give them a good balance of um, in intellectual stimulation, because actually when you have been in the field for eight years, you kind of don't have that opportunity of what you had in the seminary. But then also we give them time to, t- to be able to dialogue with each other, a time to pray, a time to rest. Sometimes we let them go and play golf, just because <laughs> believe it or not, many of our priests don't have those times to just rest. But one of the conversations that really surprised me when I was there, and I'm honored to be seated there because it's only priest and me, so <laughs> it's always interesting, uh, was when one of the priests said, after a very uh, powerful talk, he said, I knew I was in trouble when I was offering a baptism and I was looking at my clock to see if I could make it to the next meeting. Oh, wow. 
when my priority should have been that baptism. And that happens in the reality. We are humans, and when we give them these crazy schedules, that's, that's what kills their vocation. And, and that's what we as a parish, uh, all the parishioners, we should be attentive of our priests to make sure that we are also giving them a fair chance to be successful in the vocation uh, that they, they call uh, and they claim in their priesthood. Uh, the other thing is to help them see what the word priesthood is. They are a father, a provider, a companion, a supporter, and all those other topics that sometimes when you are building a new uh, church or when you are dealing with a very difficult parish council or, you know, whatever the situation you are in when you are dealing with a closing, that, that part, that integral part of fatherhood gets lost in their understanding. When we finish about the analysis of that part, I saw a lot of priests with tears saying, I wish I would have heard this long time ago because I, I missed that. And, and then it, even physically to see them, how they come in, guarded, tired, and how they are living, joyful, ready to go. Many have always said, we already have like three homilies ready for, for the next, for what you, we just heard because we're so excited. That's the kind of um, experience that I'm seeing. Uh, and then after that, they have a kind of uh, alumni community where online we keep trying to give them resources so they can keep being fed and, and strong in their vocation. Is this experience open to any priest that inquires? And how can so our priests who are listening find out a little bit more about this experience? They can check us on the website. They can email me if they're interested. Uh, we receive nominations. And once we have the nominations, we select. And the beauty of it is that the Lilly Foundation allowed us to do this all free. So they don't have to pay for anything. Wow. Everything is covered. Um, so, uh, and what, course, what's the website that they can go to to find out more? The McGrath Institute website, mcgrathinstitute.edu. And then if you go to conferences, it's called the Bishop's Darcy Conference. Um, so you basically have taken every reason uh, possible for them not, you know, uh, not to go away. And so uh, it, it's free. It's going to refuel you. It's going to reignite you. Uh, that is awesome. Um, yeah, I, I, I think we have to love our priests because they're on such a battlefield and uh, or just have these challenges and, and struggles. Cause, and, and we're learning because the landscape of uh, culture and life around us has changed so much. And uh, as you mentioned, what was once successful needs to be tweaked to change and adapted so that it can continue to be successful. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I would like to mention one thing that really opened my eyes. Um, many of the priests at, at some point in the week that I was with them this past summer, uh, they mentioned that one of the things that is hurting them the most is that they haven't done anything. All these priests that we bring are extraordinary priests. But now they see families when they're with their children and the children want to come and, and, and say hi to them. The parents pull them aside and pull them back. Oh. And they're saying that they, we are seeing that everywhere. And it feel us, make us feel so bad because we love our community, but we understand why they're reacting like that. But yeah. it's an, a, a direct attack of something that we mm. haven't done. Mm. That's painful. And, and yeah. when they mentioned that, and they mentioned it a few times, I was very touched by that comment. Yeah, yeah, that's not that's not well, a conversation we have very often. Uh, how no. <clears throat> part of it is a sexual abuse scandal, right? And how mm -hmm. um, how that's affecting our priests, and and uh, it's certainly <clears throat> we should be talk, you know, caring for the victims and 
making sure we have just processes in place and whatnot, but, but it has an effect on, on the good priest who, who aren't predators, obviously, and, and, and how people look at the ministry of priesthood. That, mm-hmm. I appreciate you sharing that here at the end, because that's something I just think we all need to be reminded of, especially as lay people and how, how hurtful, how hard it's been for, for them as well as a mm-hmm. part of this. Um, mm-hmm. Cause they're the ones that don't, aren't part of the, any of the scandals. They're, they're, they're innocent, you know, and, but they're, they're struggling through it as well. So yeah. good. Thanks yeah. for sharing yeah. that. No, definitely. Definitely. Um, I just, uh, one quick question actually from, uh, someone who's watching live on the Facebook page, uh, uh, what specific conference, uh, are you referring to for the priest that's on the McGrath Institute? Can you just, uh, share that name one more time? Bishop Darcy, a priestly renewal program. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, yes, so many great resources from the McGrath Institute and uh, so much wisdom coming from you, Catherine. And I I know I I can speak for John on this, like if we didn't want to limit our podcast, we could speak for hours um, on on this episode about just the different things, uh, because we're we're thinking along the same wavelengths on that. Um, You know, you shared the the website. Are there other ways that people can uh, get in touch with you or reach out to you if they uh, have questions or want to learn more? Yeah, my email is K-A-N-G-U-L-O-B, like Victor, at nd.edu. Awesome, awesome. And so we'll, we'll post all of that on the show notes. Um, if you guys have questions for John and I, you can always go to thechurchpodcast.org or shoot us uh, an email at questions at thechurchpodcast.org. Um, but if you want to reach out to John and not me, uh, John, how can people reach it? Uh, as always, you can go to parishsuccessgroup.com. Check us out there and all, also on social media and Twitter. Follow me and connect with me at John Ronaldo. And you can find me at MarathonYouthMinistry.com and all things Marathon Youth Ministry on uh, social media. Uh, definitely, again, Catherine, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, so thankful for all that you're doing through the McGrath Institute and, and, and even beyond that. Uh, um, as we kind of wrap up here, we have a tradition of asking our guests to pray for us. So would you mind uh, closing us in prayer? Sure. Yeah, awesome. the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this day, for this opportunity to have this dialogue, for having all the people that are listening and the ministries that they are developing. We ask you to keep us guiding us with the Holy Spirit so we do your will. And Father, you know, we're lifting up our arm, our hands, our heart, our spirit, our knowledge. Help us become better disciples so we can talk about you and no others, but just you through the, all the actions and work that we do for the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The fire, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.